Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. It's great to have you here with me for a Monday, February 20th, 2023. This is edition number 31 of season 8 as we continue looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith. Today we will complete chapter 5 on the doctrine of providence, looking at paragraph 7, a very brief paragraph, but one of extreme importance for us as we consider all the intricacies of this doctrine of God's providence. Let's pray first and then we'll consider paragraph 7 of chapter 5 together. Our Father, as we come now to these very important truths and that which you have set forth in your word and laid down for us in summary fashion here in these historic documents that help us understand your truths. We pray that you would give us grace, that you'd show forth your favor to us, that your spirit would illumine our minds and our hearts to these matters, that they would not only uh, uh, reside in our minds as truths to, to know and understand, but that which we should then live, drawing encouragement from them and strength as we pilgrim uh, to our heavenly rest. We thank you for this doctrine that does give encouragement to us, and we pray that we would see that even today we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, throughout this chapter, we have dealt with a number of various issues related to the doctrine of God's providence. As I've said to you earlier, it is my favorite doctrine I suspect, in all of Scripture because of the comfort it does bring to God's people. We have noted, just in review, we have noted that God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence. Now, this is all rooted in the sovereign nature of the God of heaven who rules and reigns over his creation. We know that all things come to pass because he, the first cause, causes them to pass, come to pass immutably and infallibly. But he also uses means to accomplish those things that he has decreed and governs. We know also that this includes all matters, great and small, including the first fall, and that not by a bare permission, that is to say that God did not merely permit the fall, but he purposed to allow it according to his uh, most holy, infallible, and righteous will. In that, God, who is most wise, righteous, and gracious, does sometimes leave his people for a season uh, to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts. He does this for a number of reasons. It's a fatherly care that teaches us to walk in dependence upon him all of our days, that we might be careful to watch uh, for the efforts of the evil one to destroy our souls, that we might watch and keep my, and be mindful of our own desires and those things that easily entangle us and we then therefore are enticed by them and that desire is conceived in us and then it bears forth um, evil. And then we noticed how providence also not only takes care of the righteous but it also deals with matters related to the wicked in the sense in which God sometimes withholds things from them so that they might never repent. And sometimes he, um, through the normal operation of the Spirit, that is to say through the preaching of God's Word, the visible 
the sign and seal of the sacraments that people witness day to day, each Lord's Day in worship, and those various other matters, God sometimes uses to harden them that they may never behold um, the hope of the gospel. And so we note that, we noted that, of course, in the use of the Savior's use of parables um, as he taught. Those parables were designed to hide the things of the Lord from the unbelieving and those who would never believe, but were used to open the eyes of those who would. Now, paragraph 7 sums up this entire matter and focuses its attention on its end game or its end use of which God has set it forth for us. Paragraph 7 reads, As the providence of God doth in general reach to all creatures, so, after a most special manner, it taketh care of his church and disposeth all things to the good thereof. Now, I've told my congregation on numerous occasions this very truth in order to try uh, to encourage them in their walk with Christ and especially in times uh, of which uh, life is hard, there are unexpected events that occur within the life of uh, within their lives, and to teach them, or at least to try to encourage them with the reality that all of God's acts of providence are designed uh, for the good of the people of God, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the degree of difficulty it may. Uh, bring into one's life, all of it is designed for the good of the church. Uh, By way of uh, hypothetical example, perhaps, uh, if another nation were to uh, nuke, uh, send nuclear missiles into another nation and, and wreak untold damage and havoc upon the world, even that wicked and horrible act would be that which God ordered by his providence for the good of God's people. Now, the question always comes, it seems to come at this point, is how is that good for us and in what ways does that help us? I don't know the answer to that question, and nobody really does. The fact remains that God does work all things according to the counsel of his own will, according to his own uh, purposes for his glory and indeed for the good of the church. Now there's some passages in scripture that teach us this very truth. Amos chapter 9 and verses 8 and 9, Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. Now here we're taught that God in his providence will indeed judge the wicked, but he also uses the wicked to accomplish his purposes. We, we note that, of course, in the Exodus account, going all the way back to Exodus chapter 1, in which God overrules and reigns and matters related to the Pharaoh, uh, to the king of Egypt, and how he set out a decree to kill the unborn, the males among them, but God preserved Moses that he might deliver a people. And so we note that in that act of wicked and evil uh, intentions of the king of Egypt, but even going further into the very things that he did beyond that, God was using that for the good 
of the church of old. We note also the apostle. Um, we note also uh, the Isaiah the prophet. I'm sorry, the Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 43. Perhaps one of the most encouraging uh, chapters in all of the Bible. The people of Israel had been languishing, and God used the, even the evil of the Assyrian Empire as well as the Babylonian Empire to discipline uh, God's church of old. And, but in, even in those times, God reminds them of his favor for them. We read in Isaiah 43, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, who I, whom I formed and made. Now we hear in these seven verses of this 43rd chapter of Isaiah, comforting words and uh, embedded uh, here that reminds us that God is working for the good of his church. He loves his church. He places his favor upon them. They are his treasured possession. And thus, even in those dark providences and things that happen directly to us or indirectly in the world around us, all of that is being ordered by a God, the God of heaven who governs and reigns and loves his people and will bring those things to a most glorious end. Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter 16, highlights something of this favor that the God of heaven has for his people, his church. In Matthew 16, verse 18, you know the context. Here, Peter makes this wonderful pronouncement of uh, confession uh, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, verse 16. In verse 18, we read, and I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, of course, this is highlighting for us the militant nature of the church as it opposes the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, and is at war with it. But even in the efforts of Satan to trouble the church and cause her to tremble, God in his providence is working in such a way to bring good uh, to the people of God. And the church will never fail then, therefore, because God upholds her, working all things in such a way to conform her more and more into the image of Christ. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Um, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And so, friends, whatever comes to you in life, and it's much more difficult, I suspect, to see this when dark providences show themselves. Whether it's directly into your own life, your own family, 
your own situation or whether it's indirectly, as it were, outside in the world itself, whatever is occurring, whatever happens, whatever comes, is ordered by the very hand of a loving Father who places his favor upon his people. And so while it is certainly true that these things happen for the glory of God, they also happen for the good of the church, and we ought never forget that and be reminding ourselves often, especially in difficult times, that God's providence does, in general, reach to all creatures, and it does. But there's a special manner in which God is caring for His church and His people and caring for you and caring for me. And so, how do we react to that or respond to it? Well, we trust Him. We recognize that the church will never fail. God's people can never be lost. Come what may, whatever difficulty it may be, God's providence is working for the good of his people because he has placed his eternal love upon them. It's a love that never started, and it's a love that will never end. God has loved his people from the beginning. He will love them in the end. He loves them. And so all that is happening, all that is occurring is designed to show forth God's love to his church, but also also to bring them gloriously to where he is. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope this discussion on the doctrine of providence has been somewhat uh, edifying, uh, beneficial as you uh, ponder more deeply these matters. But if you have any questions or comments, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Tuesday edition, when we begin to look at Chapter 6 and the fall of man of sin and the punishment thereof. This, of course, is right before um, God covenanting with man and then, of course, showing us the solution to this problem, and that is Christ the mediator. May the Lord bless you. May may he help you to walk with him. May you trust him in all that he does. God bless.